tab or I, I use this in Chrome, but when I went to Safari and opened a new window, it happened. I think I remember that doing that last time too. Okay. All right. Um, just give it a few. Just give it a few seconds did, here. Did you guys talk about um, hitting up? There was the the infographic that went out about where they lined up Ertz at. That Ertz played a. I think more. Dude, Snapchat. you can talk about all this, Russ. Okay. Do you know what it says? Yeah, I'm gonna pull it up again. I don't. I guess I didn't drop it in Slack. It was just about like how many times he lined up a tight end slot receiver and and I guess on the outside. Yeah. It was good. Okay. <clears throat> Ready to do this? Uh, one sec. One or should I wait? Fifteen seconds. Yeah, just give it till the minute mark. <clears throat> Russ, what's your hard stop? Um, I I can probably go till. 40, 45 at max. Okay. Like 6.45, not like 45 okay. minutes. Three, two, one. A Monday after an Eagles win, is there anything sweeter? What is up? Eagles win 30-17. to 17. I know Russ wants Kyle to play the Spanish version of the Fletcher Cox touchdown. So if we just heard that, that was awesome. We have Kyle, we have Russ. I'm slightly whispering because I have a married couple in my living room and i'm trying to be courteous but i can't hold my <laughs> excitement because i'm too happy uh kyle russ i just want you guys to go kyle came on today rating lego and, and super pumped so i just want kyle to just let it all out i've been waiting for this podcast for what how long we've we doing this now five months the whole reason the whole reason we started this in the spring or at least part of the reason was like let's let's get the kinks out um, let's do this when there's not a whole lot of sports. Let's get in the flow of recording at 6 a.m. So once football season rolls around, we actually have stuff to talk about. We'll be in a little bit of a groove. So I have been waiting for this. It is so nice to have a win, uh, but equally as nice is to sit here and talk about a competitive, uh, meaningful Philly sporting game, which hasn't happened since God knows when. I mean, it, it could arguably Jan be January before Embiid got hurt and all that, and the Eagles, um, well, yeah, I mean, the Eagles played at the very beginning of January, but that's it. Like, And that game wasn't even meaningless. So we're going on potentially nine months here without a meaningless game. I'm super excited. Great win. Uh, definitely things to pick apart here for sure, uh, but not going to be negative off the jump. Great win. Hopefully we're not going to uh, pick things apart uh, like doctors are probably going to have to do to Ronald Darby's ankle. Yes, I am going to be the buzzkill on that. Yeah. Uh, I, I I will say it was a very interesting game. I felt really good about myself. I went back and listened to the end of our podcast uh, from Friday, nailed some predictions, not the scoreline, obviously, but I, I am very excited. Um, but I, I have to say, for as, as awesome as the defense looked, which I think we all expected, Doug Peterson's offense, man, whew, that, if that's going to be what we have to watch all year, I'm – I'm not looking forward to it, to be honest. But uh, hey, a win is a win, and I'm I'm excited. I'm excited that you go on the road at at a division rival. Um, I don't think the Redskins are that that good of a team, but anytime you can go on the road in the NFC East and come away with a win, I'm happy. Yeah, I think. You know, I was just gonna say to beat Washington, who has been your kryptonite for the last few years, that it was a typical Washington game where you go, oh, the Eagles got this, and then it just starts crumbling in front of you. That's how I feel like every Washington game has gone the last few years. Uh, I thought to start the game with that play by Carson Wentz, uh, there's something special about 
uh, making a play in the early part of a one o'clock game because as I'm watching seven other games at the same time, everyone saw that Carson Wentz play yesterday. You know, once they get that highlight early on the one o'clock game, it's everywhere. So I got to watch it like a million times. Um, there's definitely things to pick apart that are negative, but I want to say now that Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham and Jordan Hicks and Rodney McLeod and Malcolm Jenkins and Patrick Robinson when he had to come in and Jalen Mills was fantastic and and man Bradham and there are so many guys on the defense that I rewatched the game last night at midnight and they just popped off the screen and it's it is always exciting when your defense can be that great but they shook Kirk Cousins to his core and that was awesome yeah I agree yeah. I thought Jalen Mills looked really good um when he was on prior uh he did a real nice job on him um the guy the 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 pressure they get and I, I don't know if it was one of those games it wasn't to the extent of the Giants game last night where Cousins looked like he was just in I don't know, quicksand, whatever, whatever analogy you want to use for how terrible Eli and the Giants looked. I don't think Cousins looked that bad. I don't think the Eagles were getting that much obscene pressure on every play. But, man, like Brandon Graham, stud, absolute stud. The sack by Jernigan just, just broke right through there. Cox forcing the fumble. And someone said he, he runs in uh, like a Teletubby, I thought. Uh, <laughs> or no, uh, a Corgi. A Corgi. Says he runs Ooh. like a Corgi. Uh, I'll co-sign that. They look good. They look good. I do want to say, though, Adam, to your point, that first play that they tried to have Carson on, that play action, deep ball to Torrey Smith. I don't remember if that hit him in the hands. Uh, did it? Um, was very reminiscent. The first thought I had was, this is this is like typical Andy Reid. I mean, that's pretty much the play that almost every game of the Andy Reid era started practically every season in most games. Donovan dropping back, play action pass, ball goes 40 yards in the air, to go through the hands of Todd Pinkston, maybe Greg Lewis, or as the uh, first preseason game in the T.O. era against the Ravens happened, uh, that was a touchdown. But like that was the, the first thing that my, my brain went to was, like we always talk about how much Doug is Andy Reid light, and the fact that he essentially paid homage, probably not even meaning to, but the fact that like he goes out and runs the Andy Reid start-the-season play to start uh, – was interesting, but it it does make me feel a little bit good in about Doug's confidence in Carson. It's not like he has oh. this established Pro Bowl quarterback like Donovan was. Oh yeah, I was referencing the one where he escaped all the the, the sacks yeah. and threw oh, it to okay. Aguilar. Um, and Aguilar, I mean, and and the the one thing I want to say, Kyle, to your point about the offensive line and getting pressure. The Washington offensive line is so much better than the Giants offensive line mm-hmm. that that kind of was the crazy pressure for them. Um, from the national perspective, the take I had away was to watch the L.A. Rams, even though they had two touchdowns and a safety, still hang up 40-something points with their coach, Sean McVay, and then to watch Washington's offense struggle without Sean McVay they're going to be a different team this year. And then to watch the Giants and their struggles without Odell Beckham, they need to get him back. But, man, they looked weak. And then you're sitting there, and I'm looking at the Cowboys, and I'm going, what if Zeke does get suspended later in the year? What if it does eventually get enacted? I mean, out of all that, the Eagles are sitting pretty because even even with all of the Peterson play calling that I found to be atrocious and and some of the holes on the offense – 
they still look like a complete team. And and gosh darn it, do I want to say it? Is Zach Ertz going to break out right now? Like, is that going to happen? So uh, two, I'll address two of your points there. First off, the division. I remember going on uh, Bleeding Green Nation last year. I think I've told this before, after they were 3-0. and And John Barcher saying, you know, this is the type of team that isn't going to lose a division game. And I, I remember saying, like, all right, let's – Let's pump the brakes a little bit. And I, I, I agree with some of your divisional points. Um, I don't think – I'm not worried about the Redskins. They they looked putrid. Uh, the Cousins, the prior relationship, looks like it's going to take some time to develop. Uh, they looked like they were definitely uh, not on the same page on several plays yesterday. I, the running game isn't good. Uh, their defense isn't particularly good. Don't worry about them. The Giants, however, I thought their defense played really well. Something like 47 plays in the first half yeah, to fantastic. the Cowboys like 12 so they did a nice job of just limiting the damage there uh agreed without Odell they look very average but that passing game with uh Shepard Brandon Marshall who again looks like he's going to take a little time to develop with with Eli and Odell could be could be quite good um <clears throat> and the Cowboys man I don't know um again they were going up against a pretty good D and did a pretty nice job of at least controlling the flow of the game and moving the ball uh, you know, I'm, I'm a believer in Dak. He had some of the overthrow issues early in the game that Wentz seems to plague Wentz, and we could talk about that. Um, but, you know, him and Zeke are, are two premium premium players, so I'm, I'm never going to count them out. But feeling good about the, feeling good about the Eagles. Um, what, I don't know if we want to go to Darby thing. Let me, yeah. let me just jump in really quick but, yeah. but because the name Zach Ertz was invoked. Just mm. for the people at home, um, I think this Pro Football Focus ran a, a, an interesting infographic after the game. Um, we always talk about how, how Ertz is a really versatile uh, weapon on offense. I think even in the beginning of the telecast, the announcers said that Ertz is the number one target on this team, which I thought was interesting that they said that over Alshon. Um, Zach Ertz had, uh, in pass routes, he lined up at tight end 15 times, slot receiver 14, and then on the outside 10 times. Now, I don't know where that ranks against typical tight ends, but the fact that his his uh, snaps at a wide receiver position, whether it was outside or in the slot, outnumbered his his uh, pass routes coming out of the tight end position, I thought was was at least somewhat noteworthy. And when we get into that conversation about, like, is it his breakout season? I think if this is how Doug is going to use him, you know, like we talked about in the preseason, the idea that not having Jordan Matthews means that you're going to do slot by committee. If this is how Doug is going to approach using Zach Ertz this year and, and using different guys out of the slot, I think it really does set the table for Zach to have a huge year. Well, and, and we talked, Adam, you missed this on Friday, and I'm guessing a lot of listeners did. We're going to have a lot more listeners today, and we did on Friday, so we could touch on it again. We had a couple pieces on the site last week. Jim McCormick, uh, longtime ESPN fantasy writer, is doing some stuff for us. He broke down Ertz's targets in the, in the end zone, Wentz's throws in the end zone, and both of those guys are converting touchdowns well below a league average rate and expect to regress to a much more uh, moderate mean. In other words, um, Zach Ertz, just through statistics alone, should have higher touchdown numbers this year. Set aside the fact that uh, Wentz threw a lot, the Eagles throw a lot to tight ends, and only, believe it or not, only 56 of his tight end throws last year went to Ertz. That number will should increase this year. Don't forget, 
Ertz has now played with four different quarterbacks in five years. Uh, the first three of them, not particularly good. He was injured last year. He had that dislocated rib. Uh, and then it seemed once that healed up at the end of November, early December, he was his normal self. So um, there's definitely the narrative of him struggling early in the year, but all signs heading into this game pointed to the fact that that was most likely an outlier. This is the first year where he really has consistent quarterback play year over year. He's developed a relationship with Wentz like, all in on Ertz, and indeed, he was the leading receiver. He had eight receptions for 93 yards. Aguilar not far behind, six for 86, and, and obviously the touchdown pass, and then it drops off dramatically after that. Alshon only uh, with three receptions, but he wasn't shadowed by Norman, but he did see quite a bit of him, and my guess is um, you know, that, that relationship, like Brandon Marshall, will uh, also take a little bit of time to develop. Were you guys as shocked as I was at how it looked like they were trying to force-feed the ball to Nelson early? I mean, he had he had an early yes. nice grab, and then they had they had a few, uh, just like a few screen esque passes or, or wheel routes that he ran, where like I mean they obviously lost one on a fumble, but the fact that they were trying to get Nelson the ball early, I was at least a little bit surprised by that, especially when you have a guy like Alshon Jeffrey out there. Uh, did well, you guys Doug's, have any... look, Doug said during the week he expected Josh to be on Alshon. So that's probably the chess move he was thinking they were going to do is, okay, he's going to be there. We're going to try and take advantage of the other guy. Like that first throw to Torrey Smith, I doubt they thought that Josh Norman would be covering him on that play. And that's why he went up and got it. But um, we, we need to talk about Darby. That was the oh crap moment when I looked at the screen and saw someone's ankle completely facing sideways as they're calling over a doctor to simply kneel in front of it so that the TV cameras can't see it. Uh, I watched it. It was such an innocuous, like, no-nothing play. Like, if you were to watch it on Game Pass in the condensed version, it doesn't even make a note of it because it just it happened in the middle of a play. That is, we don't know how long he's going to be out. Man, that was a kick in the balls, like right away to have him go down. Uh, and then what Russ said before we started shooting, the fact that they only have three real corners on the roster, you immediately start going, holy crap. But I, I do think we need to take a quick moment of silence for all of the Eagles' health and then in memoriam and hopefully a speedy recovery for Ronald Darby. And Joe Allen beats these. Okay, uh, were you guys? I mean, I was I was sitting there yelling at the TV and just had my head in my hands. Yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead, Russ. Yeah, like it. I I'm used to seeing those kind of injuries. Like I'm I'm used to seeing ankles roll a lot in a. All right, God forbid I mentioned it's soccer. Um, but watching Darby's ankle as it got stuck, there was like the horizontal kind of rotation. <laughs> And then watching it, like, kind of replant and then kind of snap the other way. And then, like, as he's going down, you just see his ankle inverted and also just kind of limp. And at first I was like, man, just let it be, let it be, like, a good basketball roll. Like, come down on a guy's foot. Maybe it's a high ankle sprain, which would, which would kind of suck, but there's really no damage. Uh, but the fact that it just was kind of wobbling, flapping in the wind... Had me thinking dislocation the entire time. Kyle, don't take that where you want to take it. And like, yeah, it was it was just really jarring and so disappointing. So the silver lining in this is that it is dislocated and not broken. Uh, I, I'm clearly I'm not a doctor. 
Um, I always think to me, my thing is like, that has to be broken. It can't be that crooked and not be broken. So the dislocation is good news. There's that, um, team doctor, I guess he used to be the chargers doctor who does a lot of tweeting and he was on it right away. Um, I feel like he's the sort of person, Adam, you might have thoughts about cause he seems awfully opportunistic on Twitter. Dr. Um, Chow. Oh, yeah. of course, coming yeah. from a team where he like led the league in ACL tears the last two years. Yeah, um, but he was on it right away. He said, this could potentially not be a season ender. Eagles have to hope for a dislocation. And I actually scoffed. I feel kind of bad at Chris uh, on the website in our Slack chat. He was posting that, and he said, hopefully he returns soon. And I said, dude, you can't say that. His ankle's crooked on TV. Like, clearly this is a bad injury, and it is. A dislocated ankle is not good. But if the MRI comes back and there's no tendon or ligament damage, um, I guess something similar happened to Robert Griffin. This happened to Florimon on the Phillies. His ankle wasn't broken last week. It was a, it was a dislocation, and obviously he's done for the year. But um, there's a chance Darby comes back. Now, for a speed guy, um, what does that mean for your speed in the in the course of two months? Uh, who knows? I, that. You know, but right now the reality of the situation is the Eagles' two best cornerbacks or two youngest, highest upside cornerbacks, and Darby and Sidney Jones will be coming off dislo- uh, dislocated ankle at best, potentially ligament damage, and a torn Achilles. So, um, not good from the quarterback stand- cornerback standpoint. If there's one guy, I was watching the game with my dad, and and I said, look, if there's one guy besides Wentz the Eagles couldn't afford to lose, you could argue that guy is Ronald Darby. Um, they have five running backs, uh, you know, maybe maybe Alshon Jeffrey, but they have enough guys on offense where you can uh, absorb a loss. The defensive line, again, deep enough where even if you were to lose a Cox, that's still it's still a good defensive line. Darby was the one guy keeping the cornerback, at least on paper, keeping the cornerback situation in check. So this this is not good. Like there, there's Jalen Mills look good and stepped up in his absence, but like. This is a this is a major bummer coming out of the game. This is the move you made before the year to solidify or shore up that position. And now, most likely, you're at least playing without Darby for the first two-thirds of the season. If you're lucky, you get him back at 80% for the last four or five games. Yeah, two, we had two positions on this team that they were in street, extremely shallow, corner and offensive line, and both of them got insanely like handicapped after week one to lose Darby. And now you have to look at your team and go, okay, so are we really going to rely on Jalen Watkins playing a ton of cornerback going forward? And then Jason Peters getting hurt and having to put Holly Pooley, Vali Vitae in there uh, for extended periods of time. And that's why I think a lot of people that are criticizing some of the Carson Wentz throws or maybe the lack of a strong running game, uh, anytime you lose your left tackle early in the game, it, it throws everything off. And that's why it was so incredible to see Carson throwing under duress. But, uh, you know, they they traded all those offensive linemen. They kept one active offensive lineman pretty much on the roster to handle that position uh, because all the other ones are interior offensive linemen. Uh, what happens if Vitae goes down? You know, so the two most shallow positions took huge hits early on, and it's definitely a concern. But yeah, I just I don't want to go through what we went through last year, watching Aaron Rodgers tear us up on a Thursday night football, and it's uh, Kirk didn't have the time, and the the D line is going to have to continue to to really kick that ass. But 
Doug has to figure out a way to really extend drives and get the running game going. Um, throwing wide receiver screens on third and long is not the answer um, to really keep it going and, and establishing a ground game. Kyle, you pointed out, you know, on that time-wasting drive, they gave it to Legarrette Blunt one time, and I think there there needs to be a better flow there because you need to get your defense off the field, especially with such a lack of depth at corner. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, this is probably the portion of the show where you get into Doug Peterson's play calling, which I'm guessing is going to be a recurring theme. Um, again, not trying to shit on a parade here. It was it was a good win. You win a road game in the division, and you lose uh, two two your more impactful players to injury like that. Uh, you'll take it ten times out of ten. But these are the things. This is how the Eagles lose those close games last year and lose those road games to the Giants and Cowboys. They take the ball. Uh, 12-21 to go in the fourth quarter. They're up. I forget if it was two or three points at the time. Um, they run. This is this this is the situation you get Blunt for. When when they signed Blunt and I was all sour on him, and I actually thought he looked pretty decent yesterday when given the opportunity. <coughs> Excuse me. He looked good when he got a, a little bit of a head of steam behind the line of scrimmage uh, and still looks like he's got a little bit left in the tank. This is the situation you got him for. I get that you just can't run the ball three times because that's, that's probably not going to work. But the Eagles, the Eagles proceeded to five of their first six plays were passes on that drive. Blunt touched a ball once out of nine plays, a run to the right tackle for no gain. Uh, the Eagles wound up going from their own 15 to their own 49 and then punted. They wound up taking off five and a half minutes off the clock, which wasn't nothing. It wasn't a three and out. They got two first downs in there. Wentz made a couple of nice plays. But again, like, these are the things you question. Like, this is the time when you need to chew up clock. And, and like, maddeningly, Blunt wasn't on the field for the first three plays. He comes running on for the fourth. Everyone in the stadium knows he's probably going to run on first and ten when you put him in. And sure enough, he runs for no gain. The next play is incomplete. And then you get that excellent play from... Uh, Wentz, that deep ball to Ertz for 23 yards that got him the first down. But that drive, they were in danger if Wentz doesn't make that play to Ertz of of doing of running like two and a half minutes off the clock without getting without Blunt eating up one yard on that drive. Like these are the things people question about Doug Peterson. Adam, you mentioned the third and nine, um, throwing a screen pass on third and nine. It's just it's just it's just dumb. Like it, it this the Chode Tuna Can offense is in full effect already. And the I don't know. Tuna like, can? I like that. But yeah, you know, yeah. Tuna can. If you want to go, if you want to go PG, call it the tuna can offense. The tuna can. But it's uh, yeah. I don't know. The third and ninth screen is what is what really did it for me. And that our Slack chat. Investor Jeff was in the Slack chat. He's in like Tennessee, so I think he was at like a barbecue joint and uh, drinking. And he was he was ready. He's like, if they fire Doug Peterson after the game, I will be fine with that. I, would, I think he said after like, at halftime. Yes, yes. This was before the third and nine. He freaked out. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I assume you guys have some thoughts on the play calling as well. Can I ask an honest question to both of you? Actually, no, it doesn't matter. I'm going to ask it. Just did. I, okay, I, I want to I wanna have my opinion here, but when is the last time that you watched an Eagles team <clears throat> and enjoyed watching them on offense? 2014, the week, first half. Week yeah. two last year against the Bears. Mm, okay. That was the Carson Wentz explosion game. If you go back and look at that game, 
they, their play calling in the red zone was fantastic. He remember he had a play where he tossed it out to Ertz and, and Ertz had two blockers out there and was like, whoa, what's this? And then we didn't realize that that was the extent of all of his play calling. He just used it all in one game. Um, that would be the last time. And then before that, though, like not in the Doug Peterson era. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, oh, go ahead, Kyle. I, no, I, I, I agree. That game, that first drive when they came out and hurry up, it was exciting. It had yes. shades of it had shades of Chip Kelly, but, I mean, Wentz looked – because you weren't really sure what to make of him after the Browns game uh, and to come out on the road on Monday Night Football. And it turned out the Bears were pretty dreadful last year, but they looked pretty good on that drive. Before that, I would go back to – I mean, everyone seems to forget this in this town. The Eagles were – what was it like seven and two in the two thirds of the way, 60% of the way into the 2014 season. Like they were shaping up to be in contention for a buy. And then that the bottom just fell out from there on the chip Kelly era, but they were pretty good for a little while there. And then all hell broke loose. So I would say that was probably the last time in any sort of um, Russ, what are you getting at? into the offense? I'm just saying like, I, I hate saying it, but, I have not enjoyed watching the Eagles on offense for at least a couple of years. Like the one game last year that you mentioned aside, like yeah, it like even at the end of the the Chip Kelly era, I didn't enjoy watching them on offense. Yeah, like that sucks. It, it and it's not. Look, I don't need you to have like the most entertaining offense on the planet. Uh, to to be on our team, if they win, but like. I, I found myself in in the McNabb era, I would never pull myself away from the TV when they were on offense, even knowing that Greg Lewis was probably going to drop a pass or Freddie Mitchell was going to drop a pass or James Thrash was your second receiver. It's on because the team. you and, were that was Chef Andy. And right now you're watching sous chef Doug Peterson. I don't even know if I'd go sous chef. I think he's a line cook. Line cook. He is, yeah, he is probably a line cook. But this and, is what this is what Lombardi was saying was you got the watered-down version of another coach. He he hasn't really had to create things on his own. Like, we've talked about this before. You have former offensive coordinators, Steve Filippo and Frank Reich, but this is a Doug Peterson offense. And all of the texts that I have with my friends, whether it's my guy Dan or everybody else, it's always, can they stop being so damn horizontal? Like, yep. everything is is to the side, to the side, deep ball. Meanwhile, like, am I the only one that thinks Carson Wentz throws a great ball across the middle? Like, all of his great throws are, like, 15-yard darts that are, like, yeah. right on the hashes. Yeah, whether it's, it's Ertz, yeah, whether Yeah, whether it's Ertz or Torrey Smith or Alshon, he's really good down the middle, but yet we continue to have him just dump it off side to side. Um, it, it's, it is very frustrating because it's predictable and it's not creative. I find uh, Carson to be, like, at least a little bit frustrating in that, like, those deep balls, those balls across the middle, t- fitting it into the, a tight window, he seems to excel. And you're like, that's our franchise quarterback. But then being able to just throw just a, a little floater out to, to Nelson a few times. Like, Nelson had to adjust, I think, on two of them. The one that almost went for a touchdown, I think it was, like, on the, the six-yard line or whatever. And then the other one that they lost is a fumble. Like, for some reason, he's just – he seems unable to – complete those like little floater passes which is just you know what, I, I find that so frustrating but. you know what he reminds me of uh, a couple points on all that stuff couple, uh, 
he reminds me of a pitcher when they get a when there's a ball back to the pitcher and they're so used to throwing 92 miles an hour and they have to change their uh, arm slot and that throw to first from a pitcher is always scary because it's just a different throw. That's what I feel like Wentz when he threw that 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 little screen out to Aguilar and it flew over his head. Like he's used to throwing the darts and you put him in these situations where he has to throw these little touch floaters ten yards horizontal. And he tends to airmail him a lot. And that was a horrible throw. Also on that play, worth, it's worth noting that Torrey Smith, I mean, this is the reason the league has been kind of down on Torrey Smith. He's got the speed. Completely missed a block. Gets in there and makes not even a token effort to scoop up the fumble. Um, it, like, it was like the play happened so fast in front of him, he didn't even have time to react. But, like, doesn't even get a little bit of grass stain on his knees on that. That's, that's inexcusable. I mean, you, I'm not blaming Aguilar for that play at all, but... The Wentz throw was bad. The play call was dumb. You had Aguilar, had a little bit of momentum working in his favor, uh, caught a couple of balls down the field, and now you're going to take him out of rhythm, him and Carson out of rhythm, and throw this little stupid, yet again, a screen pass. Um, I agree with you guys. I think going back to that Bears game, I forget if it was Jordan Matthews or Aguilar who was the recipient. I think the first throw we saw from Wentz where we were all like, wow, where he was on the right hash and threw across his body to the left sideline. To your point, Adam, it was probably in terms of yardage gained a 15, 10 to 15 yarder, but throwing across the field like that, it was a 25 yard dart. And I agree with you. I think those are the throws that he excels on. And I got my buddy texting me, same thing. He's like, Peterson's offense is you in Madden. It's like screen pass, screen pass, predictable run, now play action bomb. And that's not a way to like establish a flow. I like there's only one drive yesterday where I got the sense the Eagles had any sort of flow and momentum. And then you watch a game, you know, you watch the Packers, even like the Packers Seahawks. Um, it wasn't a high scoring affair, but you look at the Packers offense, and there are times where certain good teams in the league clearly have some momentum and forward progress on offense, and the Eagles never seem to have that. I think the only drive I saw it on came at the end of the first beginning of the second when they scored uh, their second touchdown. They got the ball at the 39. They moved the ball pretty well. You had a pass to Ertz. You had Blunt up the middle. Blunt seemed to be running downhill for a little bit there. He picked up four yards, another pass to Ertz, six yards for Blunt, and then they got down to the Washington three, and I saw they were getting some flack because they threw three times from the three. Uh, I'm sorry, no, they ran the ball to Blunt, and then they threw the pass to Selleck, and then that little creative pass to Blunt. I thought both. I thought that was actually a nice job of play calling by Peterson, and I think that's where his horizontal offense excels. Is when you're down in the goal line situation, you got to get a little bit clever. I thought a couple of those play calls were real well done. I forget the little screen they threw out. Someone dropped it. It was a tough throw. Uh, was it the one they tossed out to Sproles, and then a couple of plays later, Blunt got the ball on the uh, pass and caught miraculously yeah. caught a pass got in I thought that was good that was the one driver I was like hey this could actually work but I agree with I th- you guys the rest of the time there's no fucking flow the more they can get Carson into the hurry up the better he's like a different guy it's like that's his happy place you mentioned Sproles I'm super positive about how much juice he looked like he had left nice for Nelson Aguilar to prove us wrong and actually come out there and have a really nice season opener after we didn't want to believe it for a really long time and the other name that I, I really want to shout out positively before I talk about Doug Peterson's timeout with 202 remaining, um, this defense is fantastic, but to have Jordan Hicks back 
shows you how important that guy is. He was everywhere. I went back and looked so many of the times that there was pressure. He was the one barreling down the middle. He was hitting guys over the middle. Uh, he, he was the guy that, that play like, where he missed cousins got up and then got him. Yes. Uh, like Jordan, Jordan Hicks is a legitimate baller and it allows other guys in the linebacking core like Kendricks to play that reserve role and, and come in and be more of a spark. Uh, I didn't see anything with Barnett. Uh, Chris Long was out there, though, being somebody. But, you know, two oh two remaining. Eagles go out there on, what was it, fourth and one. And they're doing the typical, we're going to do hard cows and try and draw you off sides. <coughs> to call a timeout with two oh two, and then we're going to, to kick the field goal, right? It, just to waste a timeout there when you just either take the five yards or you let it go to the two-minute warning. I just, I, it, it's time situations, game situations, and I don't think Doug still gets it. Now, that may have been Carson freaking out, but the true thing is, is Doug or somebody needs to be in his ear. Somebody needs to be in his ear going, do not take a timeout here. And I, I, I end up, I realize, blaming everything on Doug because he's super easy to blame for everything. But that was one where I was just walking around the office going, what the hell are they doing right now? Yeah, it looks it looks like they were probably had a play clock situation. They weren't going to hit the two-minute warning. But I, I completely agree with you. It's like, just, just go out and kick the field goal. Like, put the game out of... At that point, it was the field goal made a twenty-two seventeen. So take you're up two. Like just and the field go goal and, would take it down to the two-minute warning by just the sheer amount of time it takes for it to go in. Yep, yep, yep. So now you're under two minutes, and they have to score a touchdown. I completely agree with you. It seems like you know I get what you're trying to do. You want to draw them off sides. That's fine. But again, like it's do you want to do that at the sa- at for the sake of of wasting a timeout where if they come back and score you're now going to need that timeout like these are these are the things you need to be think about as coach um for me that was one of three peterson things that stood out there was that one there was the third and nine screen pass which was just frustrating and then at the end of the game it turned out Sturgis was hurt he had a little bit of a hip thing and he kind of muffed the next kickoff so um, I get why they did it, but if we're just going mathematically here, and I caught some heat on Twitter because I didn't realize Sturgis was hurt when I tweeted it. Uh, the decision to go for two is, um, since mathematically speaking, has been a big thing in uh, Laurie and Peterson press conferences at the end of last week. That was the wrong decision. You're up 11. You take one point. 12 now, 12 now makes it a two-touchdown game, regardless of what happens. If you miss it at 11... A touchdown and a two-point conversion now makes it a field goal game. So the only argument I saw for going up 13 rather than 12 was that you forced them to score two touchdowns and make both of the the point afters. But that's like pretty much a, you know, there's a 92% chance of that happening anyway. That mathematically, that is incorrect. I know Sturgis was hurt. That probably factored into it. But um, just, just pointing out to people that that was not the right decision. And then after the game, Doug Peterson gets bathed in Gatorade. How much Russ, you hate that, Russ? That, oh, I know, I know Russ God. needs to go. Oh, my God. <laughs> Don't let, make me leave on that. Oh, you know, like, all right, so so re, run it back a day. James Franklin and Penn State beat Pitt. And James Franklin says that, uh, you know, last year Pittsburgh celebrated as if they had won the Super Bowl. For us, beating Pitt this year was like beating Akron. I had the same feeling 
I, I'm, my hands right now, I feel like uh, Lewis Black, the comedian, right? I'm about to lose my mind. Watching Doug Peterson getting bathed in Gatorade after winning one game. A game that 97.5 The Fanatic did debate for two days. Is this a must-win game? Stop. Just stop. You don't need to bathe your coach in Gatorade. Okay? You can bathe him in praise. Jeffrey Lurie can come down and have another impromptu press conference. He can actually compliment Doug this time, not just Howie Roseman. You can have a whole thing. Don't bathe him in Gatorade. You didn't win anything. You won the first freaking game of the season against the Washington Redskins. Okay? You also proved why you are either a nimwit, a, a nitwit of a coach or your GM is a fool by only having three active corners, having no offensive tackle depth. So you know what? Yeah, bathe him in Gatorade because I don't know if you're going to be able to do it for probably the next three or four games or until Ronald Darby comes back or Jason Peters decides to not get hurt every game or or Halalapuli Vitae decides that, you know, he's going to become the the new reincarnation of Jason Peters. I'm done. That was really terrible, and I'm also just very upset. Do not bathe your coach in Gatorade after the first game of the season. It is just, it is just offensive. I Holly Poly Volley Vitae. I love that name. Thank you so much. What is it? Say it again. Holly Poly Volley Vitae. Can we have a moment of silence for every time I'm going to mispronounce that this year? Uh, I know, I know, Russ. Right. Okay. To our listeners, I know Russ sounds like an angry Corky, and like perhaps he's like he's feigning outrage here, but uh, he is legitimately upset about the Gatorade bath, as evidenced by our Slack chat. And I just think it's, it, I, oh, I agree. it's just stupid. It's just, but, but like, why? Well, Kyle believes. Kyle believes. Pat on the back. Well, Kyle believes it's because of the article that came out this weekend that said that Jim Schwartz was aiming to be the new head coach, and there is issues in the ranks. And that he is trying to usurp uh, Dougie Fresh. Yes. Which goes back to a point that we made last week, and I'm going to leave. Uh, the, the point that was made about how Jeffrey Lurie has consistently overseen a team. Kyle, I'm trying to remember what your exact analogy was. It was like something about like palace oh. or kingdom or something about how there is always discord in the front office. And it's, it's about always... how you that girl you used to date who like, there's everyone dates that girl who thrives. Palace intrigue? Who, no, uh, palace intrigue, a toxic environment, and it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's like that girl who you date who thrives on like being in a relationship that's always like volatile, and it's only like she's only into you when it's super volatile, and other girls are texting you. That's like Lori thrives in that environment. And now it's trickled down to the coaches. Guys, have a good rest of the the show. Keep your thing running. Um, Thanks, right. Russ. Keep your thing running. Keep your thing running. Um, uh, that should be our new sign off. <laughs> is it um, vegan? When they uh. When, when uh, Peterson, Schwartz, and I forget, was a FIP, they had that little three-way, uh, not a three-way, uh, their hands joined together in a triumvirate. Um, I thought that was that was a nice sign of team unity, and then he gets the Gatorade bath. Clearly, clearly the players like Doug, and if there's one thing you want to uh, say about him positively, and it, look, they got a road win, so we're not trying to shit on everything here. But clearly, those guys like him and play for him, and he took a lot of incoming between the Lombardi Lombardi quote and the story, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, he's got a lot of heat this week, and the players clearly have his back. And I think getting a road win to start the season was a nice way to kind of shut up the critics, at least for a little while. Now you'll go back, you'll have the Andy Reid game, and um, that will be the focus of that. So Doug will get to sidestep a lot of this stuff for a little while. No one's going to blame him if they lose on the road to the Chiefs. 
I, I, I hate, I think it's amateurish, but at the same time, I, I actually don't hate the sentimentality of, of throwing a little Gatorade on the guy. Um, I, I would like to see his hair turn orange from Gatorade, um, just to see how it looks. Yeah, it sounds like after the game they were talking about how the Washington game was the one that kind of challenged them for all these years. I mean, it really has been a long time since they've won in Washington, so the the players made it seem as though that was the release. But the Jim Schwartz article definitely did catch my attention, and then for everyone to turn that, because what they did was is, uh, I saw McLean, a lot of other reporters said, you know, you look at Mike Lombardi, he once hired Jim Schwartz, and he still talks to him, and that's still a connection there. That was, a, I called it Game of Thrones coaching edition. That was my, like, oh, crap, here we go. And then I started to ask myself which guy I wanted to coach the team more, and I really wasn't sure what answer I had. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the gist of it for anyone who, who was kind of offline for the weekend is, is pretty much you described um, Lombardi hired Schwartz way back when. They remain friendly. They still talk to some degree. And I think a lot of Lombardi's opinion was either based on the fact that he was not trying to help out uh, Schwartz, but um, he was regurgitating some things that Schwartz may have uh, told him. There was some stuff about uh, the locker room that seemed like it was a little too inside baseball to know from the outside. And um, that's that's not a good sign. It's not a good way to go into a season, having your coach eviscerated like this, and he, he didn't really do anything recently to deserve it. Um, I do think a lot of people... McLean got a lot of flack for that, and he's going to, because the story is written very much from a speculative standpoint. It's him trying to connect the dots. All of the principles in it are... Uh, they do have perfunctory quotes in there. Uh, most of them are are pretty standard denial sort of thing. He does have a, a, an anonymous player or two who says, we feel this way. Um, there's not a ton of meat there, and that's the sort of story that we'll get a, a reporter bashed on. What I know um, is that sometimes if you have something and you don't have an on-the-record source, um, it's hard to write a story like that because you know something, you know there's something there, and you have to kind of couch it in your own speculation about what's going on. And I think McLean's a good enough reporter and has been doing this long enough, and he he knows the weight of putting that in coming from the top beat guy, at least you know in terms of where he works with the, the Inquirer and Philly.com. I'm willing to bet that there's more there than he was able to write to write a story like that. I McLean likes dredging up this intrigue, and maybe there's a little bit of clickbait there, but I, I suspect McLean um, really had to be careful about how he worded it and has a little bit more insight than he was really able to say there. Yeah, and I wonder what coaches and, and the staff he's talking to because there was the line which was, and it seems like you know every coach believes that Schwartz is the one gutting for this except for Doug Peterson. And most of these guys have people on the staff, but I'm curious who his guys are. Uh, but I, I didn't take it as much as clickbaity as uh, this sounds like he just has a lot of people that don't want to talk about it on the record. Yes. And if he doesn't do it, if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah. Yeah, no, pretty much. I, I, I agree with you on all accounts there. Um, anything else from the game? I, I wanted to – did you notice the new Fox score bug? Yeah, I'm not a fan. Oh, really? I think it's a huge it's, upgrade. Huge upgrade. For me, it's just like if I was doing a computer football game in the early 2000s. Like, it's just 
it's super simple. It's interesting that That's all of the major networks, Minimal, yeah, minimalistic. all of the major networks have gone from removing their bug from the upper left hand corner to all of them doing a thin bar on the bottom of the screen. That's become like the the the, the universal standard at this point. I feel I feel like there's actually a reason behind this, and I think you as a TV guy would appreciate my 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 next level thinking on this. If you remember when HD TVs first came out, um, the score bug always lived for years in the in the top left, or you know, pick a corner, doesn't matter. Then when HD TVs came out, you have some people who still only had the four three sets, so they had to keep the score bug within that boundary. So you could always immediately tell when you were watching HD for no other reason than the score bug would look like it was like on the inner third of of one one part of the screen because you still had to compensate for the fact that not everyone had widescreen. But over the last few years, even if you don't have an HD TV, and I can't imagine many you know any percentage of the population really does. I mean, it's it's just pretty much a standard now. Even if you're watching on regular def, um, you still get the widescreen broadcast. So they're now free. They're not bound by the restrictions of having a box so they could put the scoreboard on the far left if they want but now when you're dealing with a widescreen tv and if you put it on the far left you actually have to move your eyes to see it on a, on a larger tv on a wider tv i think that's why you've moved they've moved towards the bottom bar because they have enough room and they could just put it completely across i think uh i think the width of the tv has changed why they uh have bars instead of bugs i think that's like 90 percent of the reason and i think the other 10 percent is you can put more information in a full bar, mm-hmm. like when, like the pop-up slash advertising. Yes, yes, there it and is. And I think I think that would be the other ten to fifteen percent of the reason why you have the bottom bar instead of a top box. I agree. I liked it though. I always thought Fox's graphics looked like. I always thought they looked like from the '90s because everything was like metallic, robots. crunching robot, and the robots still exist, but they've gotten away from that, and it seems to be a little more. Like a little more NBC-ish, where it's just like kind of a flat color, and I, I, I like I like the look. I don't know. Well. We're definitely going to break down the Chiefs game later on in the week, but I think overall, it's good to get the win. There's definitely some some things that you kind of, it sucks, you know, Jason Peters, Ronald Darby, some of the coaching, uh, play calling, and all that, but overall. The defense was as good as we were hoping they would be. The question going forward is just going to be. Can the defensive line continue to get pressure or are teams going to be able to kind of go three-step drop to take advantage of these cornerbacks and not even get the D-line a chance to rush? That's sort of my concern moving forward. Any uh, last, last thoughts on Wentz? I know we didn't really talk. We talked touched on him. and, and, and what, what was your overall feel? I thought, in the fr- I thought he looked a little messy in the first half. Like clearly, like you said, when they're running, if they're running a no huddle or they allow Wentz to just sort of, um, you know, improvise like like that throw, the throw to Aguilar, the touchdown. I mean, that was someone uh, blended it with Donovan McNabb's play in Dallas way back when and almost beat for beat. They match up. It's it's almost scary. I forget who tweeted it out. Maybe Joe Giglio or Matt Mullen. I favorited it. Um, It's really close to that famous McNabb play. That's when he's at his best. That was when McNabb was at his best. When they get to improvise a little bit and use their athleticism, or they're you know they're running up tempo. I feel like when 
when the offense kind of slows to a drip drop and you have him doing the screens and then the bombs, like he gets out of a rhythm and then the overthrows creep up. He was, he was a, like maddeningly a little bit inconsistent and wild. I thought in the first half and I was expecting and hoping for him. I know it's the first game of the year, but I was, I was hoping for him to look a little bit improved and you still had Rondé Barber mentioning, um, you know, his, his mechanics and stuff like that. I mean, I, I was just a little, I was hoping for a little bit more. I know his numbers wound up being really good. And clearly when he can make plays with his, his speed, his legs, his size and his body, he's, he's, he can be a real good one, but um, there's still some concerning things where he looks, he looks at a touch raw at the moment. Yeah. And there are a lot of times I think when he starts evading the rush and he puts his head down and starts running around, like I, like I was listening to all these quotes last night from guys who talking about how he keeps his eyes up field and, he does, but that's after he puts his head down for like four or five seconds. Um, there are definitely some throws where I, I feel like he's inaccurate. There is a few times where I feel like he was under duress and like throwing away the ball. Like he just doesn't seem to have a good sense of, of situational football either. Um, and that definitely does concern me. But when you have Holly Pulley Volley Vitae at left tackle and they're they're bashing in there and Lane Johnson did not look good for for a lot of that game yesterday. Kerrigan was just kind of owning him as he seems to always do. Um, you know, it, it's hard to evaluate players when they're under pressure. Russell Wilson looked amazing uh, this preseason and then he goes out there and he's he's running for his life and, and I can't tell if Russell Wilson played well or not because he was running for his life, and I thought Carson was under pressure a lot. But when he did have time, I thought he made the big throws. I thought the Aguilar play in the beginning was fantastic. And I thought, you know, when he needed to, those those field goal drives in the third quarter, a lot of it was, Carson, go out there and save me. It was a lot more Joes. It was a lot more Jimmys and Joes than X's and O's yesterday. Yeah, yeah, no, I would agree with that. Cool. All right, we will be back. We will have an episode Wednesday. And then, of course, we will have Friday. We will do our predictions and prepare for Andy Reid Week. Are you guys ready for the quotes and the loving stories and Jeffrey Laurie talking about how much he meant to him and Doug Peterson talking about his coach and his mentor and what he's meant to him? And, and then they're going to add up how many people on the Eagles actually played for Andy Reid, and it'll be... Zach Ertz, and that'll be it. And then they'll <laughs> they'll ask him a lot of questions, and then there'll be clock management discussions, and and then we're gonna talk about Peters, having to Peters, stop Peters, Kareem yeah. Hunt. Yeah, it'll be it's Andy Reid week, guys. Ready for the sappy stories? Me neither. It's gonna be great. Can't wait for the. Are you predicting the media? I sense. I can't wait for the post game hug too. That's gonna shed a tear at that. It's going to be an embrace, a, hey, man, you got this, don't let the haters get you down sort of hug. I'm looking forward to it. I think Andy's going to give him one of those, put the hand behind the head after they're done embracing and pull him in and give him some words of encouragement. Over under on yeah. that is, is, is pretty high, I'd say. I would say so, too. Odds. Guys, we appreciate you. I uh, hope you enjoyed the game. Hope you enjoyed the pod, and we will talk to you guys soon.